0: Okay, we are live, episode 73. Sashi Chandran, Tea Drops, is here, along with Ben Nussbaum from Happy Hour Media. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Very excited. Sashi, I'm pretty pumped about this. I'm going to be the first to say it just because, you know, I like to keep it real. I'm not a real tea drinker. Uh, I probably should be to get down a little bit. And I will be after this because I'm going to I have some of your stuff on my desk. Let's jump into it. When did it start? And what's the story behind it?
1: So I launched Tea Drops in 2015 and as a Tea drinker myself, I just noticed a lot of different frustrations with the tea making process. Um, I'm a longtime tea drinker. It's heritage wise, my my mom is from China, my dad's from Sri Lanka. My dad was actually born on a tea estate in Sri Lanka, so those two countries were one of the largest producers of tea in the world. So I grew up loving tea and tea culture, but I started working in a more corporate office environment and trying to make tea at my work desk. And you might be familiar with bag teas, which are um you know probably more convenient slightly messy and and usually there's microplastics and other junk fillers in your tea bags but with making loose leaf tea it's also a painful process you need a kettle you need a strainer you need to steep the tea for a long time there's a lot of contraptions you need a lot of time by the time you make it you have to run to your next meeting and that was my own personal experience and frustration and I'm like why you know tea is thousands of years old second to water it's the most consumed beverage in the world Why isn't there an easier way to make a cup of tea? And so that's the journey that I just started um, my path on of trying to simplify the process of making a good cup of tea. And that led me to experimenting with tea blends and then eventually making tea drops, which is a bagless form of tea.
0: So innovation in the tea category, um, were there any sort of forms like this prior to you?
1: No, I mean there's something called Pu'er tea, which is uh, usually they come in these nuggets. that are thousands of years old. They're very like an ancient Chinese kind of beverage. You you kind of take a brick off, a chunk off, and you put it in your tea. That's probably the most similar. But there really hadn't been any innovation. You know, this category is hundreds, if not thousands, of years old, and yet it's 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 a stagnant category. Very few players. If they are, if they are You know these heritage players i call them in the category it's either bag tea or loose leaf tea but no true innovation
0: got it and before this just for experience base did you do something in the food space or what was the background that you brought into this that maybe has helped you thus far
1: i think that what's helped me so no i had no experience in food or food manufacturing i had a background in marketing um Meaning I was I was early in my career. So I was in this rotation program at the corporation I was in. So I spent six months in different areas within marketing and then would switch on to the next to the next area. So most of my experience is in digital marketing. And Which, I like that's been helpful for being a direct to consumer, I,
0: I was gonna say I, I think there's some stories or there's some information as far as you scaling on direct to consumer. But before we get there, we are gonna circle back to that. Um, Give us the first steps as far as launching the product. Uh, Where did you go? Was it local retailers? Was it in your backyard? Was there farmer's market? Give us that sort of uh, context.
1: Yeah, so when I started this, um, it was really an artisan homegrown brand. I used my own life savings to do this. I took actually a home equity line of credit on my house um, I was deciding whether to do my MBA or start this business and I thought I would just get a lot more education and hands on experience starting this business. And I just started selling at farmers markets and artists and shows and that honestly was the best way to just like no one is going to sell your product as well as you do and no one, it, it enables you to get direct feedback on your product, what works, what doesn't, how your packaging comes across. So that's what I did the first year and just went to trade show after trade show after trade show probably 30 that first year selling at artisan boutique stores. Um, so my first kind of 500 accounts were just these independent small mom and pop stores. Um, and then from there is when it opened my eyes into what was possible in grocery, and learning more about that, but then also what was possible for online, because there really hadn't been an authority or brand tea brand that I felt was really um, the go-to destination online when it came to tea, and Very I thought cool. we uh, we had the Very opportunity.
0: Cool. Very cool. Um, and we're going to, again, dive deeper into that. Um, as far as all those shows early, cause I think this will be helpful to others. You went to so many, um, were you needing to invest in that? Was there a raise early? Um, was it, is it a big raise? Is it six figures? Or were you just able to create a margin type of environment as in making money off of what you were selling and kind of reinvesting it in the business?
1: Well, the first couple of years, you know, I personally took my own life savings. So I, I had that as kind of buffer, but that's why it was so important for me to get those independent accounts early on because they paid within 30 days, or sometimes it was an immediate exchange. They bought the product, they, they paid. So that kept me afloat and could enable me to invest in some of these trade shows, which as you know, are pri- quite pricey. And just slowly basically start that engine, but I, we didn't raise or I didn't raise for the, for the first few few years um, until 2017 or so.
0: Got it. And then since we're just on it though, and in 2017, was it an angel round? How did you go about raising capital and what did the business sort of look like for you to be able to do that?
1: Yeah, I feel like mine's a very non-traditional story in that I didn't really come from this VC world or investor world. I actually didn't even know what an angel investor was at that time. But um, my story is in this round, I had a mixture of angels and institutional investors. Um, At one time, one of my investors had a more accelerator kind of model where they took you through a program, they gave capital. And for me to find more investors, I started engaging in what I call pitch competitions. So any opportunity to pitch what T-drops was um, and there was prize money. And especially there was a panel of judges who were in networks in the investor community. I just did it because it was a fast way for me to get exposure. So I did end up raising 2017. Yeah, so for me personally, you know, I had set aside with everything I took out of my own life savings and like home medical line of credit, I had $150,000 to start this business. Um, and I was able to get us to around 500 and change uh, run rate and revenue for a year. And so at that point, you know, it's just, as you know, it's, it's very capitally intense to start a CPG business. And I, I kind of knew at that point, Two things: I need to hire a talent. I need good people on the team. But B, I also need to scale. And, and if I'm going to work as hard, you know, you probably put endless hours in your business. Me too during that time. And if I'm going to work that hard, I do want to build a scalable business. So that was the decision point of raising. And I had to learn the ropes of you know what what in taking investment meant. I, I meant I read this book called Venture Deals by Brad Feld. And there's another co-author really helped me understand just like initially lay of the land um, and just started educating myself and doing, as I mentioned to you, these pitch competitions that were a great gateway for me to meet other investors, meet other businesses, see how to put a pitch deck together. And that's frankly like the method I use to kind of gain my first round of investors. I
0: think that's really cool. And I also think that those that that might see this, one of the Biggest takeaways that I have is really the networking piece. Um, You were willing to do it. Again, all of our personalities are a little bit different. Um, Some might be a little more introverted. Um, People kind of laugh when I say that I'm introverted. I know. No, I'm telling you, I am. I really enjoy being home and hanging out. But anyway, um, and so uh, I liked that. You kind of were connecting dots and the whole pitch thing. I thought that was, that's a really cool point. Like just enter in anything that you can. and see what happens because it's not just about like going up there to, to pitch about your product or, or your company, um, there are other people there that you can be networking with. And I think that's a, a really great point. I wanna fast forward into some cool stuff that's been going on. Um, I'm assuming COVID hits uh, for a company like yours. Um, I almost can see how uh, consumers would be, would, be t- would be using more of it. Um, Drinking more tea. Okay. Okay. So I'm, let's for, for, I'm just going to kind of round that out. What did the business look like prior to that for direct to consumer? And what did it look like sort of post COVID going into April, May of 2020?
1: Yeah, well, we saw about a 300% lift in terms of traffic and performance and revenue. Um, So you had a huge traffic lift come March and April for us. You're right. We're very lucky that we have a very COVID friendly product In times of anxiety, people are consuming more tea. People can't go to their local coffee shop or, or tea shop. So they're consuming that at home. So we were very lucky um, from that point of view, but also we realized that people were searching for more than just a product and a better for you, um, you know, CPG product. They want an experience that's paired with, with what they're buying, you know? So that's also something that we noticed early on that people weren't just buying tea for tea, but they were buying it because it's a source of comfort. It's a ritual they can rely on day in, day out when there's so much uncertainty in the world. And so we really built our next set of products during 2020 and our whole strategy around serving the self-care needs of our customer. And I feel that paired with, you know, the increased traffic we were seeing is what enabled us to retain those customers over that year.
0: That's really uh, an amazing uh, story as far as sort of how it took its shape. Um, And you're touching on some things that are really important because isn't that what this is for, for the customer? And yeah. um, we don't, it's talked about vaguely, right? It's always, you know, kind of people use these cliche remarks these days. It's all about customer service, but um, you're really tapping into something that's unique as far as your product and the offering and what it does do for the consumer. So you 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 almost kind of have the trifecta there, which is amazing, so long you can execute on it. Uh, which is, you know, which is the big piece. Let's talk about going into what's 2021 is January. What is the business sort of look like as far as distribution? Um, and where do you want to see it? Let's say by the middle of the year.
1: Yeah, yeah, so we are 80% direct to consumer right now, our own website and a little bit of ancillary from Amazon, et cetera. But we really have that direct relationship with the customer. Rolling out in 2021, we're, we're really, transitioning to be that omni-channel brand where we have, you know, 20% and growing of our, of our um, distribution in retail. And so we're actually rolling into Costco in Q1 of this year, which is a kind of a big deal for us. Um, you know, this, the, the gravity of that, it, it's not lost on me and just making sure we're ready really for that. <laughs> um, and rolling into Kroger stores and, um, natural grocers. So we'll add on about a thousand retail doors by the end of 2021. Um, so that's pretty significant for us. You know, that means that we're going to move that, that proportion of revenue from 20% to probably 30% by end of year.
0: That's awesome. Uh, what an incredible story. Um, in closing, um, how many people are on your team right now? Um, and what is sort of like just a, a makeup of, of that team? How, you know, what does each individual do? Um, just again, for more for context for, for those that are watching.
1: Yeah, so we have about a 15-person team when you think about full-time and part-time. I would say full-time probably 12, I think it's a total. Um, the way our organization is set is that, um, you know, because we're heavily digital marketing, um, you know, my, my leadership team is our head of digital growth and our COO. Um, And under our COO, then that falls all the operations that that are the backbone of our company and under her operations manager, supply chain manager, et cetera. And then we also have, um, you know, under her team for right now sits our our grocery retail um, team. So our sales as well as our brand manager for our grocery retail. On the digital side, that's all marketing, basically. Um, so that's that's the marketing manager team, that's the designers are, that are on our team, um, and and paid digital support. So it's really like we try to keep uh, not super hierarchical, but but really just um, you know a lean team, a very lean team.
0: Very cool. Congrats on everything. Uh, we'll we'll definitely do a follow up. Uh, and, um, yeah, because I, I look forward to really seeing how this thing looks, you know, over the course of the next 24, 36 months. Uh, it's a really cool brand. I'll throw up all the info after the show either way. Um, but it's been fun watching. Uh, ben, Ready for you, Whoa. Ben. I'm ready for you, Ben. You notice how my, I'm toned down here. Again, I'm at the factory. Would, sometimes the days land here. And then I got to kind of bring it down. People are looking at me. I got a light on. I don't know. The light kind of. Anyway. Uh, ben, you Happy to- Hour Media, give it to us. What's the story on that?
2: Yeah, so I'm Ben. Uh, from, I'm an accounting executive at Happy Hour Media Group up in Seattle. Uh, we're a digital and traditional marketing firm that specializes in lead generation. Uh, but really, what really sets us apart is our traditional media buying capabilities. So we work with a variety of regional and national companies to help scale their growth uh sustainably through you know digital marketing and traditional marketing um another thing we we've been doing a lot of is endorsements so we work with a lot of our top clients to align them with celebrities and celebrities and you know figures that really represent the brands well Um, so yeah if you're if you you're ever looking to uh increase your reach with some national TV campaigns, radio campaigns, um, or looking to align yourself with with a, a figure, you know, I'd, I'd love to connect and, and learn more.
0: We like that, Ben.
2: We like that.
0: Ben's yeah. info for Happy Hour Media is there. Sashi, Tea drops Info, right there as well. Appreciate having you both on. Enjoy the rest of the week.
1: Thank Peace. you, Mark.
0: Yeah, thank you.